passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 19 of the Eggshells Podcast Companion. This is an audio companion to Eggshells Pro Wrestling in the Tokyo Dome, a book that goes into deep detail on every single wrestling event ever held in Japan's most famous stadium. In this podcast, we take a look at a different year in Tokyo Dome history uh, with a different guest each time, but our guest this time is appearing for the second time. It's been a while. Last time he was here was 1990, but now we've jumped forward to 2007. Uh, and Alan Farrell, uh, Alan Cunningham, is is here with me. How are you doing? I am doing wonderfully, Chris. It's been quite the jump. I've aged tremendously in the uh, <laughs> in 16 years since our last show. Yeah, yeah. I think last time you were like what five or something, and and yeah. now you know, look at you. Now I'm in college and I'm exploring the wonderful world of progressive. Right. Yeah. Was, you know, was that you know what... in college you experiment and try all these new <laughs> yeah, things. Sure, sure. For me, it was Japanese wrestling, baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, all the action we've, we we all got in university watching our, our Japanese wrestling. So uh, was was that where you were in life in, in 2007? Yeah, so January 07, I would have been starting, my, or I would have been halfway through my fourth year in college, so my final year in college. No, no, no third year in college, sorry. And uh, yeah, I was, uh, I was, I'd say, two and a half, three years into kind of dipping my feet into the world of Japanese wrestling, and this was probably around the time I was becoming like a super hardcore fan, where it was like my favorite wrestling, like. Japanese wrestling, Ring of Honor, a smattering of PWG, and I was very much removed from being like pure WWE fan that I had been for my whole life up to that point. So uh, now yeah. was was this was this um, the the old fashioned means of of videotapes or DVDs, or was this because of your university status? Were you taking advantage of like peer to peer networks? Well, I see the wrestling channel was probably the biggest thing for me in terms of getting me into Japanese wrestling. Like we had like on TV New Japan and Noah and all this stuff um, from like 2004 onwards, and uh, that was kind of a big gateway for me. Um, on top of that, it would have been getting a lot of DVDs from places like IVP Videos. And do you remember Paresu DVD Source? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, those guys. I, I would have bought quite a few from them. And there was the the Puresu Power Hour Best of 2005 Volume One and Two with uh, Dr. Keith Lipinski and, and Adam Summers on the call for with the alternate English commentary track. I uh, I bought those DVDs and uh, then yeah, a lot of I'd say um, there was there was a lot of different websites. Trying to think back to the different websites, there was a, a tracker called Peru Jitsu, Peru Jitsu, which was like a, a Japanese wrestling only, maybe Japanese MMA too, Torrent site, which was pretty good for having shows up. That might have been where I got this show from, if I'm trying to think back. Because um, I, I definitely saw this show, like, I'm not sure if it was the day after it happened or if it was a couple of days after, but it was certainly within a week of this show happening. I had my friend over to my house. Uh, it was going to be his first Tokyo Dome show, my first Tokyo Dome show. Like I'd watched kind of as it happened, essentially. And uh, yeah, we were we were extremely, extremely excited for it. Yeah, we're we're at the time now where things were almost we're we're getting to that that modern YouTube esque age where things are, are much more 
instantaneous at this point. Like, I don't, th- I don't know whether YouTube was around in 2007. Maybe it was like just about. I think it was in its infancy. I have 2006 as like a year in my head for when YouTube started to kind right. of be. Because remember, was... there was the Iron Sheik stuff that was like that blew up in 2006. Oh yeah, you're right. That was true mm. YouTube. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And that, and yeah, that that was kind of the the time where people were a little bit more loosey-goosey with copyright infringement on on streaming services at this point but like everything was like 10 minutes right so it'd be i want to see this this one match but you have to watch like four different video files to to actually see it (laughs) yeah Yeah. and the uh the file sizes were were tremendously small in a lot of cases and thus the video Mm. quality was uh was not the best but for the time we thought it was incredible and amazing and uh like we're coming off a generation which would have had to wait months and months to have the VHS arrive. And um, like I probably caught it very much the tail end of that. Uh, I remember making a couple of uh, of comp orders from different uh, tape traders and having to wait weeks and weeks for them to come in the post. And, uh, so I caught the tail end of that. But like the guys who had maybe 10 years older than me who had, were still online and had gone through all those years they were all like look at these kids they don't know how good they have it with their uh with their avi files and, and their wmv files and straight on their computer just like that so easy yeah 2007 in in japan and um the prime minister shinzo abe amidst uh, declining ratings resigned um and everybody thought they were rid of him and then he came back and now he's our prime minister still now um so without getting uh too political on this program imagine politician that you don't like x and imagine that they finally leave office only to come back like 10 years ago in much more sort of virulent nationalistic form that's 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 what happened then um let's see top of the pop charts i know i know alan you're 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 up on your 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 j-pop so you will be familiar with if if number one is the bees then yes i am up on my j-pop Masafumi Akikawa. Oh, no, sadly that one's not on my radar. Right, not sent no kazininate. So um, that's close, though, isn't it? Like there's there's at least a little link to, to one of the the matches we're going to cover on the, on this show, and um, Wrestle Kingdom. This was the first Wrestle Kingdom that there was. Um, January fourth in the Tokyo Dome, and then this was like fifteen. This was a fifteen year long tradition at this point, um, but the first ever Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, happened in 2007 not to promote wrestle kingdom one but wrestle kingdom two i think probably um on on the playstation two there um did you did did you dabble with the wrestle kingdom games alan at all no for for games for me the first japanese wrestling game i got was king of coliseum 2 in you're right i think late 05 maybe and um then I got the Fire Pro game that came out as like a discount uh, release on the PS2. And mm-hmm. then Virtual Pro Wrestling 2 was the one that I kind of started to read about being like this super amazing game that used the uh, WCW Revenge, WWE No Mercy engine from THQ. So I went to a lot of trouble to like get myself all the different adapters needed to be able to play a Japanese game on my N64 and that. Uh, uh, I still can currently. I I, I now have a, a multiple N64s in my home. One of which is a Japanese <laughs> N64 because the adapter I was using years and years ago stopped working, so I had to go wow. through extra hoops. But I I never got to the Wrestle Kingdom games. Uh, they were um, I I'd say there was something that I'd heard of, but I wasn't overly familiar with. 
Right. Um, for me, I, I was, this was, I would have been in Japan for like a year, just like just over a year at this point. Um, and I went on a mad spending spree, you know, pretty much as soon as I, I sort of settled into the country, you know, I had it, I got a TV, got a PlayStation 2, and then I went like, right, I'm getting all the wrestling games that there are. Um, so I got everything up to and including um antonio inoki puzzle de da which is like an antonio inoki and new japan circa 2001 themed like puzzle fighter clone um that nobody seems to have heard of um and uh yeah so then i i did get both both the wrestle kingdoms because this was uh pretty much the, the first wrestle kingdom was uh a few weeks after you export the company so like that that was a, a sort of a big move in there and it's surprising really that the wrestle kingdom branding has stayed and probably you know it, it was like the good relations between uh yukes and and takaki kadani uh from bushy road when that that transition went over that the wrestle kingdom branding has stayed has become obviously far more significant far more famous than than the video game ever got um and everything right down to the music that that wrestle kingdom theme tune was like the the music from the video game you know it, it was that that one-to-one Um, so it's surprising in a way that, that everything continued, you know, because usually uh, companies are fucking terrible when it comes to protecting their IP at, at any cost. But it's, uh, you know, we've had, we've had this Wrestle Kingdom uh, thing around and as a tradition unto itself over the last like 10, 15 years now. Yeah, and it's, you said it's surprising that it's, it's lasted this long, but I think even more so when you go back and, and look at the reception to this show. I was reading about what Dave Meltzer wrote in the Observer newsletter at the time, and he basically said that this Wrestle Kingdom was signaling. And this may seem ridiculous in hindsight, and like people might take it as "oh, lol, Dave," but I mean, he was pretty much spot on with feeling this at the time. It's, it's, it's was the obvious feeling that uh, this Wrestle Kingdom was kind of signaling the end of the January 4th Tokyo Dome tradition. His quote, I believe, was that it was more likely than ever before. So um, that that would be the case. They, As I'm sure you'll get into, the uh, the attendance drawn was not exactly healthy. And yeah, for me at the time, as a someone on the upswing of my Japanese wrestling fandom, this seemed cool. But for people like Dave Meltzer, who had been following it since the 70s and 80s and seen all the highs, and um, this was as big of a low as there had been for a company like new japan so it really would have seemed like a um a valley in and maybe the last valley of the the peaks and valleys they were going through sure yeah i i mean 2005 probably would have been the the real nadir of it you know where it was uh literally a case and you know we talked about it on the 2005 episode that um you know it was a ticket that you couldn't give away um because they gave away all the tickets uh, in the tokyo dome and it still wasn't full so you know that that was kind of the the position they were in at the time and um the you know after 2006 um choshu it was really ricky choshu that was kind of put front and center as as the guy that was quote unquote running the show you know at least from a creative standpoint and um choshu had said well you know, we we won't be back in the Tokyo Dome for a while because 2006 was the first year that that there was only one show um, that year. You know, it's the the first time that that had happened for years and years and years. Um, so, and you know, I mean, we we went through this on the, on the last episode. You know, it was this change where Yuks had taken control, and their first thing was right. You you've got to stop spending money. You know their their first point in business was to get the company out of of the red and and start um, operating again. And they were uh, ultimately they were effective at doing that. But they they had to cut down the shows and and I guess you know um, the the Tokyo Dome there was there was enough 
voices within the company to to keep them going to the Tokyo Dome. But otherwise, they would have cut that that cost. Um, and it led to these really bizarre shows. You know, I mean, like 2006, and you know, <laughs> me and Striga spent the entire hour, um, you know, picking on like the fact that Bad Boy Hido was in the Tokyo Dome in a Too Tough Tony T-shirt. But like, that's the that's the the kind of status that that uh, the Tokyo Dome show had had gone under. And like, we're in this strange time. Um, from the point of view of, of looking at these cards and watching these cards where it's like that match happened and that match happened in new japan that match happened in the tokyo dome because like a lot of these january 4th shows alan over the next few years they feel kind of like non-canon in a way because we get all these cross-promotional matchups yeah that's interesting you say that because it actually takes me back to a feeling uh, that i used to have for pretty much until kind of the okada era where in terms of these being non-canon shows it was always as i kind of started to get a feel for the pattern of the booking it became like they would only announce the tokyo dome lineup like two or three weeks at most mm. before the tokyo dome show i remember one year might have been 2010 or so finding out like on christmas day what the tokyo dome lineup was going to be and then just being like, and being these random matches that they hadn't built to all year long so it very much had that kind of non-canon feel. Yeah, and it, it was kind of the case with this. They'd had a press conference uh, in the Tokyo Dome itself, and there's some, like, I, I haven't seen video of the press conference, but there's some fabulous, like, pictures of like simon inoki sitting down at a table with keiji muto and all this is set up on like the the pitcher's mound in, inside the tokyo dome um and yeah they, they just kind of said oh new japan and all japan they, they, they're going to be meeting each other in the, in the tokyo dome and we'll put together some matches that will leave fans from both companies happy and that was kind of it for a while until they they actually announced the the lineup. Um, so a very very different uh, kind of sequence of events to today, where it's like pretty much you know I, th I think I said this on another episode. It's it's pretty much now that in the middle of the G one we're like right Wrestle Kingdom, you know, and that's that's what it seems like uh, to me. And and you know certainly being being in it and and covering it. Um, that's why you know it, it very definitely feels like the the momentum from from like about june you know as soon as we've found out the g1 lineups almost you know and things are underway then it's like okay uh let, let's think about what's going to happen in the, in the main event of the tokyo dome this year yeah absolutely you're always looking ahead in terms of up and down the card it's not just like one match or two matches it's it's everyone you're seeing how everyone is being positioned for the dome and it's a complete contrast to what it used to be. It gives the whole year, it gives the whole year much more fluidity and just everything kind of comes together much better when you have that, when you have something that you're building to. And then that because you've built so much towards it, then you kind of get this natural restart when it's over, which helps kind of make things seem fresh going into the next year. Yeah, um, but I would counter that, Alan, with uh, wouldn't your year feel much fresher and brighter uh, if your your new year of wrestling started with a match entitled The New Year's Funny Waltz? Well, this is true. It certainly would. I cannot, I, I have to defer to you on, on that, Chris, because and there's no better way to start a year than a New Year Funny Waltz, except maybe if you were to rock your heart of effing outlaws yes yeah um, people have probably no idea what we're talking about yeah, right now. It's, it's it's great and it's um it's wonderful that uh sometimes this still happens in new japan very very rarely now but where matches have titles attributed to them and you know that that's happened in the in the past on some of these tokyo dome shows where we had like the dark summit between uh chono and and muto or like it was like um it was great Muta against like Power Warrior Sasaki, and that like that was the battle of double dealers, which was uh, which Ooh, was kind of cool. I've never heard that one um, before. That's good. Yeah, but but here we have basically every single match on this show has has an awesome name, except for 
like the two title matches because they're just called double main event one double main event two and they're not even the main event because like there's a main event after that um luckily the other card comes to rescue because this is like the peak of japanese match names and i I went to pro love to to get them because they don't wikipedia has has let us down again because wikipedia does not show the match names but these were the official match names that were on pro love and uh, do you want me to run them down chris uh please do okay so as chris noted we have match number one welcome to the tokyo dome exclamation point new year funny waltz these are all all caps, by the way, I should add. Of course, New Year Funny Waltz contained uh, one Kikutaro. Uh, get well yes. soon, Kikutaro. Um, yeah. Match number two, the artistic tag team battle. Okay, And when you think artistic tag teams, I'm sure the first two teams come to mind are Ghetto and Jado and Nosawa and Masada. Yep, and then yep. you have my so, personal favorite. Ex- ed, I help your artistic abilities, I hear. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, Rockin' Your Hearts of, and it's spelled F-X-X-X-I-N-G, Outlaws. So Rockin' Your Hearts of Effing Outlaws. And that was the Great Bash Heel Faction, Togi Makabe, Toriyano, Tomohiro Ishii versus D'Lo Brown, Buchanan, and Travis Tomko. Now you, you know, I threw it open and and said like, what what matches do you want to look at? And you were, you you instantly ran. Oh, we've got to watch Rocking Your Hearts of Fucking Out. No, I, I didn't say. And, I and then you're like, okay. So I I messaged you. I was like, okay, I, I'll I'll start watching it now. Then and you're like, no, no, I was joking. But then I actually watched it. <laughs> Sorry. I I watched a little bit too. I can't deny. Yeah. Um, I this just was really like. Because there was when you said 2007, literally the first thing that comes to my mind is that name. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, This was just this was just after Ro and D broke up, right, and became Voodoo Murders. Like, was that sort of earlier? No, no, Ro and D and Voodoo Murders. Oh, this is all Chris. Now, this is a this is a passion uh, subject for me. Oro and D oh. and Voodoo Murders are two very separate, distinct groups. They were at war with each other. We we Go we on. had a, we had a segment on my uh, my Christmas draft on the the Doctor Keat show uh, last year where we um, basically uh, we ended up going on a tangent where I was uh, quizzing my draft mates on which stable different uh, wrestlers were in, whether they were a Voodoo Murder or an Oro and D Booyah. It went, it went on quite a while, and there were some surprising <laughs> results. Let me throw one at you. Kento Miyahara. God, I know about Voodoo Murders. Yeah, he was a Voodoo Murders. Voodoo Murders. I think they still might be going even t- wherever Tari yeah, shows they, up. Yeah. He has mm. Voodoo Murders, but Oro and D were still alive and well on the show. You had Taka in the corner of uh, Taiokea later on the show, and um, uh, there was some other Oro and D presence. So they're just uh, of course Ta- Taka was, uh, you know, Taka was teaming with Kazuyoshi and Kanemoto on the show yep. in in the top of the world Arts of War match. Yeah, yeah, which came after the Dimension Zero, um, yeah, uh, which that, featured that... the Voodoo Murders. Right, um, that was like, I mean, this show was like 12 years after Uchujin Majin Silver X, but like they, they actually, this match actually did take place in an alternate dimension, uh, apparently. The, the, um, top, the top of the world arts of war was a junior 10 man, which is another thing that springs to my mind immediately when I think of this show, because did you take any bit of a look at this in preparation, Chris? I did not know. The entrances are spectacular. Well, one team's entrance, the heel team, which is a combination of CTU, Voodoo Murders, and also the Italian connection, because you had Milano. Basically, Milano Collection AT is the centerpiece of this team with his his current-day CTU partners, Jushin Liger and Minoru, and his yep. old Italian connection partners, who are now Voodoo Murders, Shuji Kondo and Brother Yashi. So they were basically the combined heel units of the two promotions taken on the Babyface Juniors. And they so first uh, Kondo and Yashi come out, and they just kind of come out to their, their usual entrance, and they walk down 
part of the way down the ramp. And then Liger's music starts playing, and Liger and Minoru come up through the ground looking like the coolest dudes. Liger is holding a pose, like he like he's an actual figurine coming out through the ground, <laughs> holding a pose. And Minoru's got his back to the crowd, um, with his title draped over his back and his water bottle sticking out of his mouth. These two are looking like the coolest dudes in the world. And then Milano's music plays, and Milano comes down the aisle with all these women. And the women start handing out kisses on the cheeks to all the different uh, members of the team and also their own dog leashes to bring dog sounds <laughs> in the ring. Of course, with it being Milano Collection AT, these are all invisible dogs, but they're yeah. all personalized. Jushin Liger's invisible dog has a Liger mask on the front of the lead. <laughs> Minoru's has a water bottle. Uh, Yashi's has dreadlocks hanging off the lead and Shuji Kondo just didn't have one at all which is just fantastic <laughs> and uh, yeah Minoru and uh, Yashi their dogs get in a fight at one point on the, the ramp It's just, and then they pose for photos and Liger was in his absolute element and he uh, every time the camera was on him or every time any camera was on him he'd see it and he'd get whatever of Milano's girls were around to give him a kiss on the cheek and then he kind of strut like Ric Flair after getting the kiss on the cheek it's the best thing ever wow yeah I, <laughs> I need to go back go back and check this out <laughs> okay uh, I have to check out you know I have to go and seek out the, the rep that's not on New Japan World so I can see the entrances yeah uh, yeah the the, yeah. the last crazy match name then is Dangerous Rapture for uh, Kawada versus Nakamura Yes, yeah, and um, I mean, geez, Kawada and Nakamura, like, um, my my hopes for this were were super super high because it's it's Kawada and Nakamura, and like Nakamura had been away for most of two thousand and six, right, and like he'd been away to to Mexico, um, for the most part, a little bit in America as well. Was and... this your hopes at the time, Chris, or your hopes now rewatching? Um, I think maybe, maybe both, perhaps, yeah. you know, gotcha. and like, you know, now we're here, like Nakamura and, and we're sort of breaking away from, from the old plain, straightforward Shinsuke Nakamura, the, the, you know, and the, the Hombat Nakamura into like black new Japan, black new Japan to rise, rise to chaos, you know, it, it, like it's the start of this evolution of, of, of Shinsuke and like he, you know, and they, they make note of it in the commentary that the, one of the reasons why he went away and one of the things he was doing while he was away was to gain weight, you know? Um, and you know, like, he's a big boy in this, in this like match with, with Koada. He seems like noticeably, uh, kind of thicker, which, yeah, um, at least two hmm. stone bigger than he is now. At least. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it felt very distinct, you know, because I I wanted to to just to go back and touch on on rock your hearts of of fucking outlaws. Like it was amusing to see, uh, you know, by that margin, a, a slimmer Tomohiro Ishii, uh, rocking the flat top in in yeah. that, and, <laughs> and kind of had matching gear to Yano. They both had the the same kind of entrance. Is there a name for that particularly that particular type of uh, Japanese kind of uh, jacket slash? I don't know, a very thin material jacket that they just had draped right, around. Right. Sort of, yeah, the, the traditional sort of Matsuri wear, like the, the festival wear that they have, yeah. And yes, um, they were both wearing those, and they so both like, had the uh, three-quarter lens. With, and Ishii had no weight belt. I always kind of saw him. No, yeah, that's that's what also, yeah, felt weird, yeah. And like the the the, the tights with the scorpions up the side, looks like he, he bummed them off of Sting or something, you know, it was... Um, yeah. Oh, tribute, tribute to Choshu, Scorpion Deathlock. There you go. Well, there, yes, yeah, of course, but um, but still, there you are. How yeah, small I mean, did he look next to Delo as well? Well, yeah, yeah, that was it. It's like the the three big American boys, um, you know, opposite them. I I was always like um, very, I was very pleased to to go back and and watch some Delo. I'm I'm always a big fan of Delo Graham. The, the greatest D'Lo in Japan matches is D'Lo and Buchanan versus Marafuji and Sugira from, I think, October 07, Budokan Hall. Just mm -hmm. a shockingly great match. It, that was actually Noah. Right. There you are. Um, but yeah, I mean, to, to, to pop back to, to 
Nakamura and, and Kawada. It was, I mean, it was, um, it was good. I mean, I, I liked it, but at the same time, you know, I was, I was kind of ex expecting like this big, you know, I mean, the, the announcers were saying at, at this point, I mean, at this point, Kawada was a free agent, but like they, they were talking about, oh, this is strong style versus King's road and like all of this stuff. And I didn't really feel like, that in the same way that that you know i was expecting something on a kawada sasaki level perhaps and um instead it was kind of shinsuke but i guess like that that was the era of shinsuke at the time where he was still more of a grappler than than a striker and, and that's what we got here and like both those guys working over the arms a lot yeah i at the time i loved it i had probably never really seen many matches like this which were just a real gritty physical fight that didn't have your standard pro wrestling match flow to it so it was really it was really different to me it was one of my like i probably hadn't seen a ton of great kawada matches at that point because when i got into japanese wrestling he was very much on the way out and on the mm -hmm. downslide and this was like he was a guy on like podcasts i listened to and stuff he, he wouldn't have at this time have been a favorite of people because he was kind of old and slow and didn't have many good matches so this was at the time considered like a really shockingly great performance by him. And so I wasn't expecting a ton from him. So I really liked this at, at that point. And it was my first time really liking something I'd seen from Shinsuke. And just that gritty feel to the match really spoke to me. And it's a style I'd go on to see so many much better versions of from different guys and enjoy that type of style much more. And especially as I watch older stuff, see seeing that style of wrestling done so much better with such a better crowd response as well because the crowd yeah. were overly into this especially at certain points in the match even towards that's the end, yeah i mean that's violent. that's something you feel through the whole show don't you know i mean like you really feel like the the small attendance here and then the rather dispassionate attendance here which which kind yeah. of hurts hurts there's certain, points, there's certain points that do override it but this match it was very fleeting and they were able to do that yeah, but they, yeah. they had a they had a good last few minutes and uh shinsuke he you could tell he clearly didn't have a handle on himself like, especially now going back watching like at the time i thought that was a really impressive performance by nakamura but now knowing what nakamura went on to do and how his career has kind of played out going back and watching it it's so eye-opening and jarring to see a nakamura that's so just not in control and feeling who he is out there and this mm. was a process that he was going through that he really continued to go through until i would say about 2010 and um he was still early in it at this point and trying to figure it out and this at the time was as i said considered a, a good performance by him and he stepped to kawada and he took a beating he took an absolute beating Kawada was stomping on his head, giving him vicious kicks. The finish was a vicious kick, uh, really ridiculously hard power bomb and brainbuster combo right before the end. Um, yeah, it was a real, a, a real intense match, but uh, one that I would have liked to have seen in another era in front of a hot crowd with maybe a, a bit of a faster version of Kawada. Um, I think it could have been even better, but I enjoyed going back and watching it. But certainly it wasn't the blow away match it was to me at the time yeah i mean like this was the the parts that that left out me were like kawada takes a, a a horrible looking german you know and like really sort of top of the neck kind of kind of german at that point but uh but does rally through and you know one of the sort of character notes that that we get a lot from shinsuke is like falling prey like shooting in and falling prey to the knee um you know which was something when we were talking about his um 2004 match with um takeyama um where like nakamura tries to tries to shoot in gets gets met by this this massive knee from from takeyama and like it's the you know he kicked out of it that time but like that's you're the really, playoff the k1 finish isn't the it? ignatio yeah the ignatio finish which um we get again you know and we, we will get again in with sakuraba like memorably and like that that huge massive knee that, that he got out but like that was kind of the finish here you know <laughs> right? like happens if you ever wrestle samoa joe in a big match i bet to do that again yeah so that was you know, there's there's a lot of 
you know, little things that, that, you know, Skinscape peppers in where it's like, you know, it rewards people for thinking, oh, he's, he's got that weakness. He's, he's prone to getting booted in the noggin. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it was, yeah, it, it was good. Um, but not quite what I kind of expected, you know, and, and, um, Suzuki and Nagata was, was much more along the, the violent lines than, uh, Kawada. Well, Kawada and Nakamura, a lot, uh, a lot of grappling and Suzuki and Nagata, a lot of like kicking each other, slapping each other and, uh, a lot of bleeding as well. And a lot of incredible facial expressions. Yes. Yeah. These two yeah. went on to have, I think, two other, at least two other, maybe three other Tokyo matches. And yeah, they do. Always a highlight of every Wrestle Kingdom they were on because they just know how to speak to the dome crowd. Whether it's a dome crowd that's packed up to the the rafters, or whether it's a dome crowd that's just on the floor, um, they can speak to everyone in the building with their ability to express themselves and their ability to make different points of the match kind of really mean something and get the, the crowd on side and they're masters of it. And this was the first big one they had and the chemistry was just like even before the bell rang, the chemistry of Nagata standing there with his back to the because in Japanese wrestling a lot of the time a guy will be put into the corner and again going back to video games, I remember first seeing this on one of the Japanese video games I got when the ring entrances were happening and just think that's weird that has to be like a glitch in the game where a guy would be in the corner with his back to the entrance and so he wouldn't be mm. looking at his opponent coming to the ring but that's just how they actually do it so Nagata's got his back to the entrance and Suzuki is coming down the ramp and the camera is right on Nagata so you're looking over his shoulder and you're seeing his eyes just looking dead forward, but behind him, Suzuki's just on the ramp taunting him, putting all his triple crown titles down in front of him and lying down behind them, posing and just being like Minoru Suzuki at this point was, while he definitely had his violent tendencies, he was more of a showman and a preener and a poser and a, a guy trying to just rattle your cage than just the unhinged madman that he is now. Yeah, yeah, and like it was almost Nagata being being more unhinged, you know, and and like what Nagata in, in this era, like you, you see him bleed a fair bit, and like we'll, we'll see him bleed in, in a good few Tokyo matches, uh, Tokyo Dome matches still to come, but uh, every time, and you know, this this something brings brings me back to to the that Sasaki bloodbath, which was like three years before this match, but um. You know, Nagata's a guy of where when he gets busted open, like when he sees red, like he goes ape shit on someone, you know, and I, I really love that. Like with the, the Sasaki match, it was it's after Nagata bleeds that that it gets much, much more intense. And then it's the same here where like he transforms into this this madman as, as soon as he's busted open. Yeah, there's the uh the Togi Makabe match a few months after this where Makabe busts Nagata open with a scissors on the floor. And then Nagata gets back at him a few minutes later by busting him open with hardway elbows in the corner, which is just like the sickest thing I've maybe ever seen in New Japan. Um, but uh, yeah, this match ruled. They, as I said, they had instant chemistry and it carried through the match. And just their Suzuki being this evil, cackling um, scumbag and Nagata being this pure-hearted but at the same time a guy who will as you said snap and just kick your head in if he has to a warrior and they have a great match the crowd really get into it lots of oohs and ahs and some simple spots that they just really milk and play up perfectly and i have a question for you chris do you know the finish of this match is so suzuki has the the choke uh, locked in mm. after the the flip over, and um, he's he's got locked in. Nagata's trying to stretch out the arm, essentially like yeah. a Nagata lock. And as he's doing it, his eyes are rolling into the back of his yeah. head because he's passing out. Was this what started the whole Nagata eye roll into the back of the head on the armbar spot, or was this basically playing off the fact that he does that? 
No, no, I think it was, yeah, it was playing off the fact that he does that. I'm not sure. I think maybe he does it earlier on in, in this match, actually. Oh, um, did he? Okay. I missed Yeah, he, he may have done. But uh, yeah, I, that's it's such a great finish, though. Like, yeah, like Nagata is, is still, as, as long as he's conscious, like he'll, he'll still look for a way and he's just like trying to, trying to get that, that arm. And then, you know, he doesn't. And um, yeah, when, sleepers you know when when sleeper holds in the sort of 80s you know were, were so cartoonish and then we went through this this mma era where like you you learned that the chokes are, are very very dangerous you know even in pro wrestling um so now in, in this context to to see like you know nagata this this tough guy you know he's he's been in mma fights and then he's he's trying to um look for a way out but but he can't get past suzuki like that's um yeah, a really, really, really good match. Probably, uh, for my money at least, it's, it's the best match on this card, I think. Yeah, it, I'd, I'd say it is. It probably is the one that holds up the best, too. And uh, it was, I'd, I'd say it was the match that made me a lifelong fan of both these guys. I I liked both of them going into it. They were the two, two of the guys I was familiar with that were definitely uh, pillars of my early Japanese wrestling fandom. But uh, they very much, with this match, kind of cemented their their legacy for me, and they were definitely uh, Allen favorites for going forward for years to come. Still are. It's hard to believe they're because these guys were like to me watching this in 2007. I was viewing these as like two veteran guys who were like having one of their probably last main events that they would get, and now here we are, 11 years later, and Suzuki in particular is still he's still very much a main eventer and Nagata not so much now but up until very recently he was he was still a guy who'd get title shots and um just was treated well in in the booking so uh um yeah it's been amazing longevity for for both these guys i think this match was kind of a a big thing in in helping him because Nagata hadn't he had kind of gone through that period where he had failed as champion because of how he was treated by Inoki and um, it had been a rough patch for him in in the peak of his career but I think this match set him up to be a legend veteran going forward Mm -hmm. which without this I'm not sure if he would have had the same beloved status that he would go on to have and it was crucial in allowing him be the guy to get Tanahashi over for basically the rest of 2007 right yeah i mean i was just about to to bring that up um and you know you're right i mean i, I think i've said in a lot of different places for for me like yuji nagata is to new japan what bret hart is to wwf in in many ways you know and and this guy this you know phenomenal like technician he's he's good at everything but you know he just unfortunately was was champion at a very very bad time for the company you know so it's it's he's kind of um sorely overlooked um and despite the fact that you know in all the situations that that nagata was in when he when he was champion during that that v10 reign um you know he was he was really tremendous you know he got he got the most out of everybody he was with um but uh tanahashi in the meantime was iwgp champion at this point um but he wasn't you know, i mean you're right and uh you know i said it we said it uh when Strigger was on on the the last episode that uh it really took until 2007 2008 um the the rival with with yuji nagata to really make hiroshi tanahashi arrive where here he was kind of at this point in his career he was champion he was a preening champion you know he was a guy that that had started to tell the the crowd that he loved them but um you know he wasn't really aware and by his own admission he he wasn't aware that um he was kind of a heel without you know he, he didn't really acknowledge that he was he just thought thought it was kind of strange that that people were booing him because he was kind of dislikable in a way and that's kind of odd watching this tire Kea match where Kea kind of beats the shit out of tanahashi for most of the match and he keeps on pinning tanahashi and um you know tanahashi keeps on kicking out and it's more of an oh from the crowd rather than a yeah rather than a yay tanahashi's still alive you know 
Yeah, I my biggest memory of this match is I, I mentioned my friend came over to watch me and and he was kind of if I was kind of getting into Japanese wrestling during the the, the period the two year period leading up to this, he maybe watched the occasional match that I'd rave about. So he'd kind of tag along a little bit, but he wasn't fully like invested. In, he wouldn't really be going out chasing down stuff himself or whatever. Um, but he just through the fact that I was getting into it, he was becoming a little bit exposed to it. So um, he wasn't massively familiar with a ton of the guys on this card and, and Kea would have been one of those. And, I don't know what it was about Kea, but he just loved Kea when he came out for this match. He was like, yeah, this is my guy. This guy rules. And all through the match, he was just becoming an increasingly bigger Taiyo Kea fan and wanting to see him beat Tanahashi so badly. And like you said, on all those near falls where Tanahashi kept kicking out, he just kept thinking, this is the one, finally. Oh, goddamn. And then... Uh, Eventually, Tana, I'll never forget Tanahashi hitting the high fly flow and <laughs> my friend just being so angry and standing up and just like throwing something there and just being like, ah, oh, god damn, how did, he, how did he, how did he get him? Oh, he was getting his ass kicked. I can't believe he snuck away with, and then it was, we, we'd watch like Tokyo Domes in the years that follow and whenever Tanahashi would win, he'd still have that kind of resentment. Like, oh, he got mm. another one. No one can beat this guy. Oh, it's so frustrating. And then the, the funny ironic thing is that he's become a much bigger fan of Japanese wrestling in the time since. And now Tanahashi's like absolutely one of his favorites. And he was so happy when Tanahashi won the G1 this year and just kind of like his old nemesis that he's kind of, uh, that he now roots on as like the older veteran. So it's a, it's kind of funny story to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, but it's so strange to to see this match, you know, and, and Taiokea being, I mean, it's all set up for Tanahashi to be the triumphant underdog. But at the same time, like the 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 way I think that the crowd bite on Taiokea and the ends, like, you know, I think they really like him in this match. And even if, you know, I, I think like, if you were just getting into Japanese, here's your first Japanese wrestling show. And, and then here's Taiokea, who's like noticeably like a, a much bigger dude. Um, you know, I think like there's the the visual impact there, perhaps. Um, but uh, yeah, and then, and then the fact that he's just like absolutely just dominating Tanahashi throughout, and it seems like you've got your classic pro wrestling. Uh, let's get behind the underdog who who finally squeaks one through. But uh, instead, it's kind of like you know, it is it's it's kind of like you said, it's it's almost a, a little bit frustrating to to has people who aren't Tanahashi fans and and then like the the commentary is talking about ah somehow somehow he just about caught by you know and and you do get the image of like Tanahashi getting by everything uh on the skin of his teeth uh by the skin of his teeth so you know almost almost kind of you know heelish at at this point you know and and, um you know Tanahashi has, has said like it took him till the middle of this year to the middle of 2007 I mean to to really realize that um he was a you know he should double down on on being on that booze on those booze and that response um you know rather than continue to be too self-absorbed to, to believe that he was a heel um what did you think of the actual like did you enjoy watching the match i i actually really enjoyed it on rewatch more than i was expecting Kaya was Kaya's stuff looked great in this match like that sit-down powerbomb he hit, the, the Cobra Clutch Suplex, and there were like the moves were getting a lot of big oohs and ahs from the crowd. So this actually was a livelier match in terms of crowd response than I was expecting it to be, and, and remembered it as, as being. So um, yeah, I actually enjoyed this more on rewatch. It held up better than I thought it would, because at, at the time I enjoyed it, but I. I felt it was kind of the third match on the show behind Nakamura's match and, and Suzuki's match for sure. Um, but on rewatch, I, I definitely, I think I preferred it to the Nakamura Kawada match and it's not that far off Nagata Suzuki for me. Yeah. I mean, like, I think, yeah, it said like here is, is super impressive. Um, but it's, I think like if you watch it in a vacuum, it is it is good. Like I think though, in the context of here's the IWGP title match and like kind of the effective main event. Like they they called it double main event two, but like after this was like the the 
basically your your legends tag team match to to finish out the show um so it didn't feel like a tokyo dome main event you know certainly like if you're spoiled by the tanahashi main events that, that were still to come or oh yeah if you're uh, expecting like a tanahashi okada style match yeah exactly uh, exactly or even close. this was um two years removed from tanahashi nakamura won like that that first match in, in the headline the the tokyo dome in, in 2005 so yeah it, it's it's not that you just kind of have to be prepared for it for it not to be that and i think like probably in the context of the entire show which isn't yeah i mean like it's not awful by any means but like there's there's there are a few like oh definite massive highlights um so in the context of that perhaps it's it's a little bit mm, you know sort of thumbs in the middle um yeah yeah but um... I, I don't know if you if you watched the the main event at all. I skimmed through it. Uh, I wanted to see the entrances and the the, the post matchup because they were kind of important. Yeah, it's um yeah. I mean that that that's like a sort of greatest hits thing, really. <laughs> that match. It's, it's, it's Tenzan great. and Ko- we should just maybe introduce. It's Tenzan and Kojima versus yeah. Chono and Mudo. So basically, the the top stars of the era but now the all japan president and mudo and there's a new japan figurehead i guess in chono coming together as a team and taking on again two guys who had kind of split because kojima was still on the all japan side of things at this point and his former partner tenzan mm. was still new japan so uh yeah he had two former tag teams kind of being brought back together by this all japan new japan and, and i actually wanted to mention them um, it was shocking to me when I turned this back on to see just how much this is, show is portrayed as a New Japan and All Japan show. Like, yes. it's, it's fully, like, it's at a certain New Japan and All Japan present. Like, yeah. this is New Japan slash All Japan Wrestle Kingdom. And I remembered it as having a lot of All Japan guys on the card, but I really didn't in my mind think of it as a co-promoted show. and. It, it very much is yeah yeah and that, and that goes back to what we were saying like the the kind of non-canon feel of everything you know because we yeah. went 2006 was like new japan versus the indies and then 2007 is new japan versus all japan and then over the next few years we're going to get different degree differing degrees of new japan versus tna and new japan versus noah um so yeah i mean for better for worse you know i kind of think you know the the logic perhaps was that on its own um new japan wasn't a, a dome drawing card you know um i mean like together with other promotions it wasn't a particular it wasn't a tokyo dome drawing card per se um but they they wanted to have sort of extra extra spice on it and you had yeah yeah i mean you you had this sort of greatest hits uh tag match with with muto and chono which was yeah really their to sort of cap off the the whole new japan all japan thing and also you know you had that that send off that that nice um tribute to shinya hashimoto at, at the end which was um kind of coming off of the the original plan for um the spring 2005 tokyo dome show um was for the the three of them to do a tag match that it was going to be like um uh, Chono and and Hashimoto and Muto uh, versus like Miss Sauer and a couple of other people, um, and you know that match at at the time fell through because of of Hashimoto's Hashimoto's health and like you know he was planning to make a big comeback later in on in the autumn and and he didn't make it you know I mean he he died in the summer, um, so like this was that that kind of tribute that they they never got around to doing like that that final reunion of the of the three musketeers so it was a, it was a nice sort of uh a nice way to to end the show i think it was when i was watching it this week it was really eye-opening to me how this end of this show with mudo and chono going back up the ramp and hashimoto's music playing and and the image of hashimoto on the big screen between them as they stood there and everyone being really happy about it it seemed like the complete final closure to an era Mm. 
And I, I, I don't know if it fully felt like that at the time, but in hindsight, looking back at it, I think it definitely was because that era was pretty much done at that point. Um, there were no real big, obviously you get your, your legend shows and stuff and whatnot, but in terms of New Japan Pro Wrestling as a company, in terms of its main events, its key things, that era closed on January 4, 2007. That was the, the final hurrah of it. And there would not be another Tokyo Dome main event that didn't feature Hiroshi Tanahashi, Kazuchika Okada, or Shinsuke Nakamura after that. So it's, I think it's, it's very much the end of an era and the start of the modern era. Well, I, I don't know, I suppose in some ways, like the current era we're in started in 2012, but the era that kind of came just before that, leading into that, that all began when this ended. Yeah, yeah, and and we'll see that on our next episode, headlining the, the next show would have been, yeah, Tanahashi and, and Nakamura. And um, yeah, you, you'll see things, I think, you know, I think you're right, it, it, it's not quite the, the modern era, but things are starting to coalesce a little bit you know we'd see sort of ctu fade away and get replaced you know ctu and and new japan black and sort of becoming rise so like you're starting to get chaos coming together a little bit and like in terms of just a, a general sort of image you're you're kind of starting to see yeah the the show becoming more familiar to to i think fans now you know it's the bridge um, era it's the the era that basically Tanahashi bridged between the old era which was wiped out by the booking of the, the erraticness of the 2000s and the new era which has been so stable and prosperous with Okada and Kidani and, and all that so there is this bridge era in between from I would say from this show to Okada's return in 2012 it's that five year era of just kind of staying standing just keeping things mm. where, where dave talked about this show being likely the last of the january 4th tradition just being able to do enough to keep that tradition alive keep the head above water and to be in a position when the pieces came into play to push on and embark on a new journey to be able to do so and obviously Tanahashi was the key piece in in allowing that bridge to to stay stable during those five years yeah yeah for sure yeah um and we will keep looking at this journey and next time next time we'll be looking at 2008 as i said um featuring tanahashi versus shinsuke nakamura also featuring tna versus new japan at large um so this uh the next show we can look at uh alan features the one and only meeting of one fergal devitt and one aj styles in new japan ring I thought and you were going to say features the infamous Devon Dudley bouncing headbutt. Ah, uh, yes. What's that features that? Which might have been, we talked about the advent of the YouTube era. That might have been the advent of the GIF era. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> You're on about that one, yeah. So, uh, yeah, on our next episode, uh, waiting, we'll be back uh, to take a look at uh, Wrestle Kingdom two um in the meantime alan this uh episode should be out i think to the general public in mid to late october so um what might you have going on then oh, mid to late october well i know for sure every week touch wood <laughs> every <laughs> week I, if, if i'm still alive every week i'll be putting out my uh ProRes paradise on pw torch vip so if you're not a subscriber to pw torch make sure you check it out, see all the great content that's there with the likes of Tom Martin, Bruce Mitchell, Wade Keller, um, with a lot of great New Japan coverage that we have on, on the website and roundtables for all the big New Japan shows and that kind of thing. So if you're into Japanese wrestling, it's very much catered for. My show to Paris Paradise tries to cast a net over all kinds of wrestling from the indies internationally in the US, uh, in Japan. Um, we, we talk a lot of Japanese wrestling, but try not to cover 
a ton of New Japan just because New Japan is covered kind of by myself and others elsewhere on the website. So it's a, a very much a hodgepodge of different things that we cover on Paradise and focus generally on just really good wrestling whenever we, we see it. So uh, um, there's that and there is Fighting Spirit Magazine. I probably, by the time this is out, uh, there will be a new issue of Fighting Spirit Magazine with an article I wrote on Tomohiro Ishii, who we talked about on this show. And a fine man, a fine British gentleman who lives in Japan may have helped me out with a couple of great quotes for that article. So uh, uh, thank you for that, Chris. So uh, <laughs> yeah, that will that will definitely be on the shelves in um, your your local uh, your local news agent in Europe, and if you're in the US, you can get it digitally uh, via the Fighting Spirit magazine website. So uh, check that out. Wonderful, wonderful. And uh, of course, you can head out and get Eggshells Pro Wrestling in the Tokyo Dome. Um, most likely, I think Amazon is is your easiest way to get it. But uh, if you ask me um, at ReasonJP on Twitter uh, for alternate means, if, if that's uh, what you prefer, then uh, I may be able to sort you out. I still do have boxes of books downstairs in in my room that that uh, gets in the way every day and uh, that I need to clear away. So uh, so do uh, hit me up on Twitter and, and buy one. Um, and yes, uh, it'll be myself and Wei talking to you next time. Until then, take care. Goodbye.